invite you to turn uh, your Bibles to Genesis 11. We're going to look at two stories today, Genesis 11 and 12, and talk about how they relate to one another. I'm going to start uh, with first nine verses of 11, and then the first five verses of 12. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that is why it is called Babel, because... There the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. In chapter 12, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. We are beginning week four of going through the Bible in a year. We are in Genesis 11 and 12, and by my calculations, that means we're going to be done at this rate in 2027. We will start speeding up um, in a little bit here. The problem is Genesis is so important in understanding the storyline of the Bible, especially the first... 11, 12 chapters, they just lay these really foundational ideas that are, that are necessary in understanding the whole of the Bible and understanding how um, our story fits in with the Bible story. And we have these two chapters here, 11 and 12. Um, in general, Christians um, are, are more familiar with Abraham story or Abram's story than the Tower of Babel story, although that is, for for many people, a, a familiar story, the story of the people building the city and the tower. You may be familiar with that, maybe not. But we're going to talk about what these two stories have to do with the overall storyline of the Bible. And I want to just do a quick review of two of the major themes that we've talked about in weeks one, two, and three. One is that God, his intent is to fill this 
earth with his glory. Um, all of the earth, not just some, but, but the whole earth, every part of it. And the, the second theme is what we talked about last week about sin. We said that sin, one of the ways to describe sin, not the only way, and it's not necessarily the way to define sin, but one of the ways to describe sin is when we say of anything that is not rightfully ours, that God has given you know, to us, Sin is when we take that and say, now this is mine. You know, God, God presents us with opportunities. Sometimes we take those opportunities for our very own and say, this is mine. And when we do that, that's, that's a sinful attitude. And we can do that perhaps most frequently with our lives. And that's what we talked about last week. When we say, God, this life is mine. Um, that is sin. So um, what I want to do is I want to look at the attitudes of the, the people building this tower and the attitude of Abram or Abraham and think through what was their attitude about their life. And I'm going to give you two visuals that are related to one another. Um, and I heard about this from, from a, a pastor this, this past week reading a book. I really thought, I, I liked it. I thought it was a helpful uh, way to understand how we often treat our life. One of two ways before God. You can either visualize your life as being in an open hand before the Lord with your, with your palms facing upward. God, this is, this is my life. It's you, but, it, but it's your life. That's one way of understanding your life. And the other way is with a clenched fist, fist before the Lord. You may know the Lord, but... God, this is, this is my life. And so I want you to think through um, your, your own self and, and how do you view your life before the Lord? Is it with a clenched fist, this is my life? Or is it, Lord, you've given me this life, but it's, but it's really yours. Um, let's look at these two stories in the Bible. Start by looking at the people in Babel. How do they see their life um, before God? Well, it's that tight-fisted um, expression. And, and I want to look at three things that when this is how you see your life before the Lord, that you will seek to control. Because ultimately, seeing your life like this before the Lord, it is an exercise of you being in control. So first of all, let's look at verse 4 of chapter 11, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Notice what they say. Let's build ourselves a tower that reaches up into the heavens. Kind of a neat construction project. But we see this is actually an exercise in control. One, a life as a closed fist before God seeks to control God. Uh, just what kind of a tower are they building? Now, we're not sure exactly what the tower um, looked like, but one of the, uh, one of the thoughts, and it's, I think it's a pretty good thought, if you know your ancient world history, know the area of ancient Mesopotamia, you may recall... Um, what the, the tallest structures that that civilization um, would have. 
And these towers that they would have were they were religious in in their in their function. Um, and these towers they had certain names you might remember from world history. They were called ziggurats. I have a picture of a ziggurat. Um, that actually I've showed this picture to you before, and uh, it looks kind of more Mayan to me than ancient Mesopotamian. But you get the picture of. Um, a ziggurat, kind of a, a pyramid-looking structure. But one of the distinctive feature, features are the stairs that are going up on the sides of the tower. And you might think, if you were to put your yourself in one of these ancient people of Babel, let's make a tower that reaches up into the heavens, you might think, oh, I get the idea. They wanted to walk up those stairs so that they could reach the heavens. That makes sense. But that's not what the purpose of those stairs were on those those ziggurats. The purpose of the stairs for the ancient culture was for the gods to descend from heaven down to the people below. See, they thought, if we provide this for the gods, if we worship the gods... If we try to please the gods, the gods will walk down those stairs and they'll come down to us and they will bless us. So do you see their their neat construction project really was this attempt. We want to control the gods. We want the gods to come down so that they will bless us. So one, this, this, this way of viewing their life, for these ancient people, it was a it was a means to control God. Two, a life as a close fist before God seeks to control the future. Why build the tower? Well, look at what they say in verse four. Kind of going through verse four of chapter eleven, you can keep that that open in your Bible and look at it. Why do they build the tower? So that we may make a name for ourselves. Ultimately, they wanted to make a name for themselves, not for God, but make a name for themselves. They had a, may have had a concept of, of God or the gods, um, but they weren't relating to God in a way that, that God desired. And they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make a reputation for themselves. Your reputation I mean, why do we protect our reputation? Because we often see that as a doorway to our future. Um, we want people to think well of us. We want employers to think well of us. A good reputation can lead to good future business. It can open doors for the future. So they want to be known for their accomplishments. Let's build this tower so people will think, wow, they really have got it going on in Babel. And three... When this is your mentality of your life before God, a life is a close fist before God seeks to control security. And at the end of verse 4, there's this important little phrase. The people want to build a city and a tower to make a name for themselves. Why? Well, they answer why. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So they were wanting security. They didn't want to be scattered. They were enjoying this controlled environment. Each person was speaking the same language. I can understand what you are saying. You can understand what I am saying. We can talk easily, make these plans for this big tower. 
this offered a high level of control. You know, if you've ever been in one of those kind of um, multi-language situations where there's not a great interpreter, it, you can feel very out of control when you're trying to talk to someone that does not speak your language and you don't speak their language. You can feel powerless. The people wanted to stay in this controlled environment, stay in their city, in their culture, stay with what is familiar. This would help them feel secure. Now, I want you to, to think for a moment, what's, what's wrong with wanting to remain secure? Because we, we do things that make a whole lot of sense to remain secure. We lock our doors at night. We replace the batteries in our smoke detectors. We wear our seatbelts in the car. These are to keep us secure. What's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with that. But the people of Babel were saying... Um, we want to we want to control our security we we want to stay safe in these confines but they were ignoring something really important and that's god's command and we're going to see this in abraham god's command to go to go out god told adam and eve in genesis chapter 1 um, or the people in genesis chapter 1 you may recall god told them to go out go fill the earth populate the earth Last week we talked about the flood. What we didn't read is after the flood, God tells Noah and his family the same thing that he told the very first people. Go out, fill the earth. God wanted to populate the world with many nations. Go out. So let's think about God's evaluation of the construction project in Babel. Um, How do they evaluate? How did God evaluate it? And I think this chapter is a little confusing because... um, you know, at face value, it it may seem that God acts a little threatened by this. Did, did you hear that in, in in what we read in Genesis chapter eleven, where 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 it almost seems like God felt threatened? I better go see what what they're doing because who knows what they'll be able to do if they put their their efforts together. But I don't think God was threatened by that. You know, when my kids were younger, um. When, when the house got a little too quiet, Melissa and I would say, oh, we gotta go check on the kids, cause it's a little, it's a little too quiet. We're not hearing anything. Um, and we weren't really worried about their safety. What we were worried about them making a huge mess in, in their the rooms or something like that. <laughs> um, we didn't feel threatened. We, <laughs> we felt like there was a big house cleaning project that was about to, to happen. And I, I think God, um, this, this might have been a bit like God's reaction. Let me go check things out before they make a real mess of things. Um, God's not intimidated. He's not thinking, oh, they might try to usurp me as Lord. No, no, he wasn't thinking that. Um, he's, he's not intimidated. He's just a little underwhelmed by what they were doing. And, and think of it from the people's perspective. Let's build a tower that reaches up into the heavens. But what Genesis chapter 11 does is it actually gives us God's perspective of the tower as well. And that tower is not reaching up into the heavens. The tower is a, a tiny little tower, like when you're 
flying in an airplane over a city below and you know, just tiny little features down there. And that's, that's the viewpoint of this tower that, that is presented. And God, ha- God comes down. Why? Because he can't see it. It's so small. It's so rinky-dinky. God's underwhelmed. God sees their plans and he gives them a different directive. He says, no, you're not going to stay here together and because I want you to spread out. I want you to go out. And he scatters them by making them speak different languages. That's God's evaluation of the people of Babel. They, they wanted to remain safe and secure and not do anything. Now let's look at God and Abraham in chapter 12. How did Abraham see his life before the Lord? Is it, is it like this? Is it, oh, this is my life, Lord? No. Abraham views his life like this before the Lord, as an open hand, as in an open hand before the Lord. Um, and if you view your life like this before the Lord, you're going to believe several things. You're going to embrace several truths. And I'll give you three truths that you'll embrace if you view your life as an open hand before the Lord. One, you will believe that our future belongs to the Lord. Our future belongs to the Lord. Look at Abraham. God told him to relocate. If someone asks you to relocate, like your employer, say to Florida, your employer says, we want you to go to Florida. What would you do? Well, you would... You, you would do some thinking about that probably. You would look into Florida and see what it's like there and see what, you know, what are you getting into if you would be going to Florida? Uh, you would look at the perks of going to Florida. Um, but, but God just told Abraham, just go. Go where? Well, I'll show you. I'm not going to tell you until you get there. Just go. Verse 1, the end of chapter 12, verse 1. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Leave everyone, everything behind. And they took their possessions, but they left their extended family behind. And that shows us how Abraham thought about his future belongs to the Lord. See, leaving his father's household meant leaving his security. Back in ancient days, there weren't IRAs, no 401k plans. It was your extended family that would take care of you if times got tough and things got rough. And God says, no, I want you to to leave that extended family and go wherever I lead you. The people of Babel learned, oh, we can try to own and control our own future but if God's got other plans, he's got other plans, and his other plans will happen. That's what the people of Babel learned. God said, nope, I want you to spread out. And he spread them out despite their best efforts. Look at what James says about this. Um, chapter 4, 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. 
What is your life? You are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we'll do this or we will do that. See, when, when you hand your life to God, you can, you can say, God, I know you've got future plans for me. And I know your future plans will happen despite my efforts. Now, you might ask me to do things, and I can walk faithfully with you, and I'll try to do that. But it's your future. It's your plans for me, Lord. You can see the future beyond your future when you open your life up to the Lord like this. And Abraham, I think he viewed the future beyond his future. He had, knew there's a bigger picture to his future. There is an eternal perspective to his future. Look at, look at what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verses 9 through 10, about Abraham. By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land. He walked down to the land that God would take him to, which turned out to be the promised land. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Didn't have a permanent home there. He knew it wasn't his permanent home. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham knew there was a future beyond his future that he could look forward to and entrust to God, this eternal future with the Lord. So we know that stuff, wealth, it's all temporary. If you have it, great. Give thanks for it. Be generous with it. And whether it seems like the... Temporary blessings are just overflowing or if they're lacking. You can know that that is only a fraction of how God blesses us. We're just passing through this world. Our future, yeah, it's in this world, but we have this future beyond our future. And we know that this world now, it doesn't suit our greatest needs. Things decay, they die. So we know we can't hang on to things so tightly. I love this phrase from um, Alistair Begg. He put it like this, hold lightly to what we can see, hold tightly to what we cannot see. So if you can see it, if it's your stuff, if it's your, your life, hold lightly to it because we know things will pass away. Hold tightly to what we cannot see. That's the future beyond our future. That's our eternal future with God. Second thing that we'll believe if we hold our life in an open hand before the Lord, um, we will believe that our purposes belong to the Lord. So our future belongs to the Lord, but also our purposes. Look at, at chapter 12, verse 2. God says, to Abraham, I will make your name great. Isn't that interesting? The people in Babel, they wanted to make their own name great. God says, I will make your name great. I will do it. You don't have to do it. I will make your name great. Now, God decides what great means. You know, at first hand, depending on your personality, you might think of that phrase, I will make your name great, and you'll think, ooh, God will make me famous. Or maybe you'll think that I, I don't want to be famous at all. Abraham happened to be made famous. Maybe not during his day, but now he's famous. 
But God gets to decide what great means. And for most of us, that doesn't mean that we are made famous by others. We just live our life. And then we go off to be with the Lord. But God gives us the little purpose for us with our life now. Abraham was God's given name. Remember, his name started off as Abram, we read in our story. God gave him a new name, Abraham. Abraham means father of a great multitude. And that was his purpose. God was, God was going to build a great nation out of Abraham. He's going to be the father of a multitude. Abraham, I'm giving you a name. I'm giving you a name, and it describes your purpose. I like to think that God has a name for you, which which has a unique purpose that, that God has in mind for you. But it's God's purpose. And three, if this is how we approach the Lord with our life, open hand, we believe our impact belongs to the Lord. So look again at verses 2 and 3 in chapter 12. And I want you to count the number of times we see the word blessing or bless. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Have that underlined for a fill-in in your notes if you want to fill that in. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How many times do we see the word bless happen? Five times in those two verses. Um, it's interesting. Guess how many times beforehand in Genesis? Um we see God cursing something as the result of human sin. Can you guess how many times? We see bless the word bless five times, five times for God cursing something. So God is doing something here in Genesis chapter 12 with this blessing. He's undoing the curse of sin. And, and how does God undo the curse? He says, well, I'm going to bless the earth. I'm going to bless the world. Well, how are you going to do that, God? Well, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to use you to go out and bless the earth. Our impact belongs to the Lord. Your impact that you have on the world, it belongs to the Lord. God has blessed you not just for your sake, but for the sake of blessing others. So um, I want to thank my daughter Susan for this next um, thought. She took a great college class sharing me some of the content of this college class. And she said, you know what our life is? Our life is a gift, but really it's a gift, not just to ourselves, it's a gift to others. So your life is a gift for others to enjoy. I mean, you receive your life, it's a gift from God. Thank you, God, for the life that I've received. But guess what? It's not just a gift for me. It's a gift for me to give to others. And your life, it's a gift for you to give To others, your life is a gift for others to enjoy. Your life is a double gift. God gave it to you, and now he's giving your life to others to enjoy. And therefore, God gives us this command, go. Just like he told Abraham, go, 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 give your life as a gift to others. Now, God does not call most people, I think, to move to a new country or new location. But God does tell everyone to go. Go get out of your comfort zone. Go 
you know, when you're just kind of huddled around together and you're in this controlled environment and you feel like you're in control and everything's going great and, hey, we're just having fun by ourselves, go, go make your life a gift to others. I believe that God wants to do no small thing through you, but that takes you going out of the control area or the comfort zone, what we're used to. It takes us stepping out of the, the, the Haran, you know, our homeland, and doing something new, something different that the Lord is asking us to do, risking something. And it may not be entirely clear what God is asking us or you to do. You just start stepping and following the Lord, and He'll lead you to the place and the thing where He wants you to go and wants you to do. It may seem a little risky. Responding to God's go, um, therefore, it's not an exact science. It requires listening to God, looking for moments. They don't have to be big. I remember back in, in Northwest Houston, a, a moment that the Lord, I believe, led me into. And it happened through um, just building a relationship with someone, a, a business transactional relationship with someone at the local donut shop. Um, and at first, I just liked the donuts, and then I liked an excuse to go back in for more donuts by building this relationship with the, uh, the, the clerk there. It's called... Um, uh, like, oh, I think I have a name for it. Um, oh, I'll see if I can get to it. Can't remember. Type of evangelism, marketplace evangelism. Have you heard of marketplace evangelism where you strategically shop somewhere so that you can build a relationship with, with someone there? And, and let me tell you, marketplace evangelism is a beautiful thing when it involves donuts. And one day, after going in there for a dozen times, I'm talking with the, the, the guy, the young man who's selling me donuts, and we talked plenty before, and uh, one day he brought up golf, and he told me this great round of golf he had, and this is what he said. He said, if I were a religious man, I'd swear that God was on my side that day. It was like a big wide open entrance ramp for me to say, you know, um, I don't know if I'd consider myself a religious man, but I am someone that walks with Christ, Jesus Christ. And I just want to offer, if you ever want to talk about Jesus, I would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Just that little moment, just, just stepping out in faith. Hear that little nudge from God. God says, go, and you take that little step. And then you see where God's going to do lead that and, 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 and allow you to travel further with that. And sometimes God doesn't give you the big sign. It's, it's a little small nudge. You start walking with, with God, letting him um, direct you along the way. But big sign or small nudge, God says go. Um. Why is it important for Christians to think about this divine command to, to go? 
Well, one reason, I think, is this, because it is so easy in our culture for Christianity to be a Christian, um, to be seen largely as I'm sitting and I'm listening. Like we're doing right now, you're sitting and listening. And we can think, oh, that's what I do as a Christian. I Sunday mornings, I go to church, I sit and listen. But being a follower of Jesus Christ, I think it's much more defined by words like going and sharing and helping and serving and spreading. And Jesus didn't have too many instructions for what the church was supposed to be like. When he was with his disciples, he gave them some instructions. You love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. Got that down. But he didn't give them many instructions for them to start building the church. He didn't say, okay, disciples, item number one, move the weekly worship service to a Sunday. Get it off of Saturday. He didn't give them that instruction. He didn't say, okay, you need to have small groups in these churches that you're that you're going to be building. He didn't say anything like that. He didn't say, hey, whatever you do, keep the church built, building clean and, and well-kept. He didn't give them that instruction. Really, the instruction that, that Jesus gave early Christians was this, go. That was the instruction for the early church. Go. Get out there. Go make disciples of all nations and baptize. Go, I'm making you a witness of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Go, get out there. What the church is commanded to do is share the gospel, share the good news of Jesus and his love. That's the command. Get out there and share. And... (laughs) How was Abraham ultimately to bless all people on earth? The very end of verse 3, God says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, then it wasn't all, all, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We know that it wasn't through Abraham himself that all peoples would be blessed. It was That would happen through Jesus Christ, right? Coming from the line of Abraham. But Abraham had his part in pl- to play in helping people come to know Jesus. And you've got a part to play in helping people come to know Jesus. So this week, I want you to think about this. Where is God telling me to go? Last little fill-in on your note sheet. Did you think about that this week? Where is God asking you to go? This is, this is one of the reasons why we're thinking of this Spanish-speaking church plant, by the way, because we want to do things that um, we want to be open to ideas that, hey, this may be from the Lord that we want to consider to go, to go cross-culturally. Um, Where is God asking you to go in spreading the gospel this week? could be that God is asking you to go to a certain person. Maybe it is to go serve somewhere. Maybe the, you know, you've got a few weeks of school left. Maybe it's helping out at school with something. Maybe it's volunteering some help. Um, Maybe it's going to meet the new neighbor down the street who's moving in. Strike up a conversation. 
At the end of the worship service, I want you to pick up a baby bottle out in the foyer. We didn't announce this um, earlier. We're doing um, the uh, the support for the pregnancy support centers locally. Fill up one of those bottles with change. Bring them back for Father's Day so that we can bless these pregnancy resource and help centers that are out there. Maybe they need some volunteer work. You can go and volunteer at one of the pregnancy help centers. That's a way to go out. Go, spread the gospel, share the love of Christ. So let us consider that. And I'm going to pray for us while we think about how God is calling us to go. Our Lord and our God, we know that you are active and moving And we know that one of the ways that you act and move in the world is by having your your followers, your children to go, to go out and to be a witness of your love and to, to share with someone who is in need and to build a relationship with someone who's new and to listen to someone who's going through a difficult time and to pray with that person. There's so many ways that we can go, Lord. We pray that you would give us nudges this week, that you would give us a sign of of where you want us to go, what you want us to do, how we can help build your kingdom, how we can share your love. Lord, as we think about your call to go, Lord, help us to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us today. And Lord, help us to remember that when there may be a risk involved when it feels like we have to give up some of our control in order to hold our hand, our life before you as in an open hand, that we are holding our life out to the God who sent his son to die for us. We are holding our life out to our Savior who loves us, who died for us, and who seeks to bless us. So give us courage and the willingness to go. In Jesus' name, amen.